when my mom was alive, I remember my dad being at home, and uh, he was he had like a stack of uh, school-lined paper, and he was like writing ferociously. My dad has my dad and mom both had incredible handwriting, uh, not like kids today who just you know look like archaeological things and chicken scratches, right? So he was writing furiously, and uh, I didn't really care what he was doing. But for some reason, I'd come down the, down the stairs, and I, I walked by. I was like, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, I'm writing the Bible. I'm like, couldn't you just go buy one? He didn't take that joke lightly, but uh, he was like, no, son. He goes, I'm convicted that I want our family to be a family that passes on the tradition of God's word. He's like, I know I could go buy you a Bible. But I wanted to write this down and pass it to you so that one day you would do the same for your kids. This was like a real serious moment. And I was kind of an idiot back then, less, more of one than I am now. Um, And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to go buy one and hand it to my son, right? But I, I get the picture of what he... Like now when I think back to it, and he still writes, and he's, I can't remember what he's writing. So I look back and I think, man, that, that's, that was hugely important. And uh, it, it started to get me thinking about what I want to pass on to, to my family and uh, things like that. My dad's still writing it. Um, I, I don't know how far away he is. I just know that one day I'm going to be getting this massive stack of uh, lined paper. And when I think about... Ephesians, and I think about all the great things that we've been talking about over the last few months, and I think especially about Ephesians chapter 4, I think back to what my dad was doing, and it's kind of like what Paul's doing with this passage. He's sort of writing out this thing that he wants to pass out to the church. He's in prison. He has no idea how much longer of a life he has left, and he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you the best of what I know. I'm going to give you the best of what I understand. I'm going to give you the best of what I'm captured by. And I'm going to pass it on to you. And I want you to hold on to it. Cherish it. Don't just let it sit. But become someone. Become people. Become a group that is just absolutely taken by this. Characterized by this. And, and you know what, we, we've, we've gone back through Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, and even 4, right? You got these beautiful things about how Jesus, who, who in his majesty, right, really had no business paying attention to a bunch of people who turned away from him and yet poured out love and grace and says, you know, I, I want to be with you. I want you as my people. And, and you have these beautiful things where he's like, you know what, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead He's deposited in his people, right? Like, if you think about it, I think most of us here would look at each other and be like, I'm not depositing anything of worth in these people because they'll let me down. And yet, that's the incredible thing about Jesus, right? He's like, no, this is where that's going to live. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's doing in this book, right? Ephesians is this Paul writing this beautiful uh, uh, theology. 
his understanding of Jesus. He's telling us about what he knows, not just up here. He's like, you know what? This is who has captured me. Right? You ever have those moments where you've gone through something? Maybe it's with a first date. Maybe it's a, a momentous occasion in your life where something captures you. It's a song. It's a, a lyric. It's a word. It's a feeling. Something that captures it. It's a sight. It's a smell. And that every time that comes about, when that happens, you're brought back to that. And you realize, man, this is when I felt alive. This is when I felt amazing. That's what Paul's doing here. And when you read how beautiful he's writing and how amazing the language is that he is, and you realize this guy's sitting in a prison cell. Think about this. I've, I've put myself in this situation. If I was sitting in a prison cell, what would I write to my family? I'm not sure I would write all this stuff. But here he is writing this incredible stuff, and he's saying, guys, I want this for you. Just because I'm in prison doesn't mean I'm not living this out. This is my reality. I may, be in, in, I may be like behind bars physically, but guess what? I'm a free man. And that's what Ephesians, what we've done so far, is all about. He's like, look, you, you don't understand this. He goes, your physical situation does not dictate your spiritual place with God. That's what fully alive means. You may be in a tough situation right now in your life. But if God is there with you, and the inkling is to, to, to focus and point to God and to look to God and trust in him for all the things that we're, we, we need to, that's the beginning of the type of life that God wants to give to us. So as I thought about this, this sermon this morning, I was thinking, well, what more could we tell you about Ephesians chapter for because last week Kevin sort of went a little bit over what he really needed to preach about. So he actually preached the sermon that was supposed to be, the passage that was supposed to be for today. So thank you, Kevin, for uh, doing that. Um, so I was thinking about this and I, I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me and to our congregation? And I thought, why not, why not do a quick review? Why not do a quick review? And as I was reviewing these things, there were two things that popped into my mind, two things I want to share with you. You may have heard this before. You may have missed these, these things in the, on Sunday morning. But these two things, I think, are absolutely key in Ephesians chapter 4. Before we get into that, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, whether you got it on your phone or tablet or a book. Um, I want to pray with us, and I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are, you're the head. Uh, you're, you're the one who speaks through your word and through your spirit. You're the one who infuses us with life. You're the one who animates our life the way it ought to be. You're the one who gives us this life. Without you, we are nothing. And so these words that we have just sung, we don't want them to just be things that come out of our lips and yet our hearts be far away from you. 
We pray this morning that as we listen to your word, as we wrestle with the things that you're wrestling with us with, God, may you bring those two realities, the words that we sing, the heart and the life that we live. Would you bring that close together? And God, may, may it be right now, or may it be tomorrow, or may it be next month, or sometime in the future, would you make those two realities one? Holy Spirit, we know that we cannot do that without you. And so we bless you and we thank you that you are a God who continually shows us this grace that while we were still sinners, while we don't deserve you, you still shower us with the best of your presence. And so, Lord, I ask you to do a work in us. Father, I pray that you would surprise us this morning. Father, I pray that you would stir us up this morning. I pray, God, that maybe if we came in with a different uh, idea of what we would expect here, God, that you would absolutely blow that out of the water, and God, that you would show us an incredible reality of what you're talking about here in your word. God, I also realize that there are people in this congregation who are hurting. I realize that there are people in this congregation, your people, the people you love, who are in difficult situations. Father, I pray that you would give them that same spirit that urged Paul to write this with the same joy and the peace that passes all understanding. God, I know that that doesn't mean that their situation would be fixed, but God, that your presence would be there. They're so real that they would understand this joy and this presence in a whole new way. We bless you, Father, and we love you, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there, there's one thing that Paul uh, resonates right throughout this entire chapter. And the first thing I want you to know is that you are called. You're called. Kevin and Carl, uh, and, and earlier on in our, in, in our series, uh, we, we've taken on this theme that you, you are not just someone who is in, invited to sort of stand on the sidelines or kind of just sit on the bus uh, to where this is going, but you are called to live an active life, a life that is participating in what God is doing. And uh, I had this great image this week as I was trying to think about how to illustrate this. And and Paul writes this and he says, look, all of this stuff that God has done, all of these things that God uh, has done for you, right, is not just done to be given to you, but it's meant to be something that's active in your life. And that's the calling, right? Christianity is not a passive thing. Faith in Jesus is not something passive. It's not saying I'm here from one moment and I'm here in the other and I just stay here and do absolutely nothing about it. If there's anything you should know about what we've been teaching here over the last year, and, and, and a quite a bit actually, is that this requires effort. You don't earn salvation. You don't earn faith in God. We've seen that throughout the, the, the earlier passages of Ephesians. But it does require you to move. And the best way I could think of this, and the image that came uh, this, this, this week, was that the life that God paves for us now is sort of this highway of love, if you will. I know that sounds kind of like Woodstock, kind of free highway of love, man. No, not, not that kind of stuff. It's not like affection. It's not just like, hey, man, this is what I feel for you or whatever. This is a life of sacrifice. It's an active love uh, that, that God has called us to. 
wherever you are, especially here in this church, you're called to live out that life of love. Every step that you go, every step, wherever it is that you do, you, you, God calls you, whether it's the grocery store, at school, the mission field, that life is paved now. That path is paved now with love. And God is calling you to that. He's calling you to love. But there's something else that's important about a calling. Before you think that it's just an individual calling, Paul right away talks about being one as, as a church, right? In Ephesians chapter 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? There's that love again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So, before you think there's this massive highway of love that you're being called to live, and you think that you're the only one running on that highway of love, think again. God calls the church to travel that highway of love together. We're on the bus. And that bus is a bus of unity. I know that sounds really childish, but we're called to travel that. And the vehicle is unity. Um, I think it was this week, right? Uh, President Trump was meeting Kim Jong-un in uh, Vietnam. I'm not getting into politics. There's just something really funny that I watched. Did you see Kim Jong-un in his, uh, his little uh, limousine? and the 10 bodyguards that basically ran right beside everything, right? It's crazy, and I was thinking, man, how must God see our church, the church, right? When he says, yeah, you all are together, and yet there are times when different denominations, different parts of the world are like, yeah, you know what, I, I, I'm not with these guys because I don't, I don't buy into the same thing. You know, we're Pentecostals, or yeah, we're Baptists, right? I'm, I grew up Baptist kind of thing. And it's like, you know what, we'll just run along the car, We'll just run alongside of the car that God has created, right? I, I truly feel that. I feel it's, it's a little bit foolish that one day God's going to look and say, you know, you guys divided over like all these silly little things, right? And it's as silly as that picture of the limousine driving and people running beside it. It's like, yeah, we are, we're doing the same thing that God has paved us to do, but we're not with these guys. We're not in the bus. And I can't stress how important it is that it is through this unity, this oneness, this thing that God uh, merges together to say, you know what, this is my plan. This is my plan to bring all the peoples of the world together, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you sound like, regardless of, of, of where you grew up. This is the one body that I have created. That's the first thing. You are called. You're called to be part of this together. You don't do this alone. You've been called out of this life that you used to live on your own into a different path by Jesus, for Jesus. It's a life of love. The next one is uh, right at the end of chapter 4, actually. It's actually not even in chapter 4. It's actually chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. 
Um, in a lot of commenta uh, commentaries, the first two verses of chapter 5 actually, uh, they would say belong in like the way he writes, belongs at the end of chapter 4. So here's what it says, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from verse 32 of chapter 4. He's giving a list of a bunch of things that they should look like and think about. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God. This is in 5.1. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me pause there for a second. God starts out by saying, you know what, let, let me put this in a different, different frame of mind, right? So he calls us to this church and he says, I want you guys to be this one body, right? He's creating this family of God and he's saying, look, you guys are all part of this family. You guys are all adopted into this, right? Look around. You guys are brothers and sisters. Some of you guys are like, man, right? But guess what? If you're obeying the call of Jesus, you're brothers and sisters. You're on that bus. We're being called to live on that bus. And, and all throughout Ephesians chapter 4, he starts saying, this is how our family operates, right? We heard this over the last few weeks. These, there are certain things we don't do as this family, right? You used to live this way, but now that you've been called into this life, you now live this way, right? It's like, here's what life now looks like as a family, and then he sort of ends off by saying this, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself us, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When I look at kids and I look at family members, I think it's always, or maybe for most people, but I think this is what Paul's getting at, that when parents look at their kids, they're hoping, right? Hoping and doing are two different things, but hoping that one day they'll turn out somewhat like them. I'm not talking about careers and all those kinds of things. I'm not getting into that stuff. I'm just saying certain characteristics. This is who we are as a family. And Paul's hitting at that. He's saying, look, you guys are kids. You guys are children of God. And what you should do is you should try to emulate. You should try to copy and try to be like this father who's called you out of this life and into this life. And he's like, look, this is how you're meant to be shaped. God wants you to be like him. I want to show you uh, an example, and I've asked Elijah if he could help me with this. Um, this is probably where I need the wired, but you can see it. Come on, come on over, Elijah. Give, give up a round of applause for Elijah. He has no clue what he's in store for. I was trying to think about how to illustrate this, and uh, I was trying to think about how do I teach this to kids, and I realized most kids are not here, but that's fine. You can go home and try this on your own. How many of you have seen the, the Karate Kid movie? Not, not the Pat Morita one, the new uh, Jackie Chan uh, version, right? Yeah, you have? Good, good. So you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, in, in the Jackie Chan, Jaden Smith uh, version of the movie, what's really cool is uh, he's learning how to do martial arts, self-defense, right? If you haven't seen it, go home and throw some more money at Jackie Chan's pocket, all right? Go watch it. Um, it's a great, it's a great uh, uh, thing. So he has a limited amount of time to actually do or learn martial arts uh, before this big tournament, right? 
Um, and so one of the training things of Jackie Chan is to say, I'm going to show you the moves. And uh, come on over here. I don't actually have the, the bamboo stick. Go, go on the other side. You know what I'm about to do, right? Is he actually takes two bamboo sticks, right? And he ties or they've got handles or something like that. And there's actually a really touching scene at the end of the movie. I won't ruin it for you, but um, they all die. I'm totally joking. They don't. Um, <laughs> Where he takes the he takes the thing right and and he starts to sort of you guys can kind of hear me I've got a loud voice right he he sort of takes it and uh, oh wow cool I, I I might hurt you by accident all right cool I I don't actually know kung fu despite stereotypes and stuff um, do you do you know you know okay so you know like he in the movie he starts and he he's like look don't don't fight this, right? And he's like, this is what you're going to do. And he starts moving his hands, and he starts showing him what a punch looks like. And he's like, hey. And then he teaches him other little things, and he goes, we're going to do some really weird stuff right now. Anyways, but you get the idea. You get the idea. And, and the, the image that I get from Paul, right, is imitate God in the way that he lived. Right? In, in other words, so in this, just in this example, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be God for now, right? Uh, in, in this instance, what Paul's saying to the church and what he's saying to individuals is, take on to the sticks. Learn from Jesus. This life of love that God has called you to live, right? This is the kind of love and this is the kind of life that God is calling you to do. This is the activity part. So what does it mean when you're at church, when you're at, at, at your home, when you're at, at the grocery store, wherever you are, right? What does that life of love look like? The bigger question I have for our congregation and for me as well is, are we even holding on to the sticks? Are, are we willing to be tutored and mentored by Jesus himself? Are we willing to allow him to move in the areas of our life that we may find difficult to. Thank you. So that's all fine and dandy, but what does that actually look like? And here's where I want to dig in to verse 2 of chapter 5. Anywhere... Paul talks about Jesus and what he's done for us. He usually always, or usually always, he usually has two aspects that he explains. And here's the practical part of what I want you to take away when you think about imitating Jesus. Think about this. He always talks about Jesus' sacrifice in our place. That's the first thing. And for our benefit. In our place, for our benefit. In our place, meaning God, right? Look at, look at what it says in verse 2. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Right? Jesus took our place as the sacrifice. We had no access to God, but Jesus places himself so that we can have access to God in our place. And that he would give himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
for our benefit. It's to praise God. So when you think about this, how did Jesus do this in our place? If you think about the life of Jesus, it's easy to think that Jesus could have just sat up in heaven and thrown down commands and be like, hey guys, don't do this. Hey, do that. Yeah, live this way or whatever. But the scriptures don't say that, right? Paul's just spent the first three chapters saying how God came down and lived with us. He came in our midst. He came and, and to show us what it meant to be in our place. Someone that we could relate to. I want you to think about that in our place. Who in your life right now, who that you meet, maybe on a casual basis, on a regular basis, or just inadvertently, could have the benefit of the presence of God through you in their place. Because I'll tell you something, you all have mission fields. God has put you in the school that you're in, in the workplace that you're in, in the family that you're in, and God sends you to the same McDonald's that you usually visit or the grocery store that you visit so that you could be in that place. That's what it looks like to imitate God, to be in the place of someone else. Remember I said that love is an active thing. It's, it's not a passive thing. It's something that we're called to do. And God empowers us with his Holy Spirit to do that. And then to do that for our benefit. In what way, shape, or form could our presence, it's not about you, but our presence through what God has sent us be for the benefit of someone else? How am I to bless those I come in contact with to the place that God has sent me to so that I could be in that place connecting with them? How could I be a benefit for them? I'll close with this. I remember, um, I remember a really difficult incident. I, I may have shared this before. Like, There's nothing new that I, I think I'm going to share with you. Um, I was in this restaurant, and this was a unique situation, and um, I was in a meeting, and I had to cut the meeting short because uh, this guy was sitting um, a few tables down, and he was just staring at me. Like, I don't mind if you stare for a few seconds, but if for the whole meal, like, you're staring the whole time, it's a little creepy. It's a little weird. And incredible thing was, I said, you know what, can we just call this meeting later? Because uh, can we just finish this off? Or can we just finish this off on, on the phone? I'm, I, this is kind of, this guy's weirding me out. And uh, so, you know, my meeting said, all right, cool, we'll, we'll chat later. I got in my car and I get this knock on the car window, right? And uh, that's the guy who was like staring at me the whole time. And uh, he's like, I was like, man, I could just drive out of here right now. I don't, I don't know who this guy is. So reluctantly, I just rolled down the window just like a tiny little, and I was like, yeah, what do you want, you know? Uh, and he's like, I, I was like, I don't, he goes, I don't know, but I, I, I want to pray for you. I was like, what? Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy, so I compartmentalize certain things. So like some of the stuff that I was going through, I didn't really think about I was going through. I was going through a really tough time 
but I, my mind was on the meeting and the creepy guy who's now talking to me kind of thing, right? And he's like, I felt like God wanted me to pray for you for something that's going on in your life. He had no idea who I was. I don't know who he is. I've never met him, and I never met him again after that. And the stuff that he prayed for, I was like, man, how would you have known? And that's just one instance. Like I, I, that's just one instance from my story, that I, uh, my life, that I can remember and tell you. But think about it. Think about how God could use our presence with the power of the Holy Spirit in us for the benefit of others. Yesterday, we, we sat here and listened to Paul talk about discipleship. And one of the things that he talked about was having patience when we're reaching others, when we're, we're spending time and investing in others. And I believe someone uh, from, from, from the audience, and I won't tell you who it was, but they shared a story about how it took time and it took the, the love of someone, it took for, for them to actually come back and respond, right? Can you imagine if our love for those that we come in contact, in contact with was like that? Can you imagine? Because the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead, the same example of how Jesus lived his life, is there in you. And he's called you to do that. And that's how you, li- that's how you become fully alive. As we sing these songs, as we think about these things, may you, Forrest Brook, be empowered by his spirit to have your eyes opened to see the places God has sent you. And may you, Forrest Brook, be enabled by his Holy Spirit that the love of God, the sacrificial love of God that he has infused into you ooze out of you for the benefit of others. And that ultimately, as Paul says, it would be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen.